Welcome to Bible Study Live with Matt. I am Matt, and today we're talking about being not religious. What what following Jesus really means. So today's Bible Study Live really was sparked kind of um by a, a text conversation that I had with my daughter. I my daughter's amazing. I love her. She's so freaking wonderful. Um, but like I just sent her something encouraging, you know, like an invite to a little devotional, and she said, "Thanks, but I'm not religious." And I I get it. And, um, you know, the crazy thing is we've come to associate uh, religion w with anything that relates to Jesus. And, and how did we come to that point? Well, he, the truth is because uh, it's the same way that um, the Jewish people uh, ended up associating uh, religious practices in Jesus' day with, um, with thinking that that made them godly. I think a lot of things like uh, overtly religious stuff start well-intended, right? Somebody says, um, hey, we, we need to follow God. We, so let's put, in these, let's put in these rules. Let's put in these ideals. Let's put these things in place because they'll help us follow God better. I think that's where it begins. Right. But the challenge is sometimes all of these rules and regulations that we put in place pose a different problem. And that problem is they get us more focused on the thing, the rule, the deal that we're trying to, you know, stick to than what the original purpose was for in the first place. You know, I'm going to share something with you guys that you may not know, but Jesus wasn't a Christian. <gasps> No, he wasn't. Of course not. Because Christianity is named after Christ, right? The followers of the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, Jesus didn't come to start any new religion. He said he was the word of God, right? The scriptures tell us Jesus is the word of God. What is the word? Word is Torah. Torah is what? The law, right? Jesus came to show us God in the flesh. Here's the way. Here's the truth. Here's the light. He's the good shepherd, right? All of these things. So today I want to wrestle with a couple of scriptures to help you and I separate religion from following Jesus. Let me say that again. Today, what I want to do is I want to read a couple of scripture passages to help us to be able to clearly identify like how we separate religion from following Jesus. What was Jesus really all about? Did he come here to create a religion, a cult, a group of people to stick to a bunch of rules? Or did he come here for something more? And so today we're going to read uh, um, from two different pieces of scripture. We're going to read John chapter 10 verses 1 through 11, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40. Now, um, before we get rolling, I want to share this. Um, the point of Bible Study Live is to create conversation without condemnation. We're not always going to agree on everything, but we're not going to fight over it. We're not going to argue over it, okay? Uh, things like Bible translations, uh, denominations, throw it out the window. It doesn't matter. Here's the deal. Uh, Denominations divide. Multiple Bible translations become useful for helping us get a better understanding. Today, I'm going to read from the New English Translation. One of the things I love about the NET is that it has notes from the translators in the NET. So I'll uh, show you some of those as we dig into the scriptures today. But So today I'm going to read from the NET, the New English Translation. Listen, whatever you're reading from the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, the Message, uh, they're, they're all good. Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they're all good. They're all telling the same story. The Pigeon Bible, 
uh, yeah, that's a thing. It's uh, like Hawaii language, um, like uh, Hawaii slang. Uh, they're they're telling the same story. There are a few exceptions to that. The Mormon scriptures add things. The uh, the um, Jehovah's Witness Bible adds some things uh, and and shifts some things around. Right. The the big difference in some of these translations is some of them are translated from original manuscripts, and some of them take English translations and then retranslate them to fit their words. So the ones that I mentioned being good, those are all good good translations, uh, scholarly translations. Some uh, more recent usage uh, of, of the scriptures. Um, but yeah, like the Berean Bible, all those are good. So anyways, uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to start by saying, who is who is Jesus? Like, who is he? What, who does he say he is? That's what we're going to read. And we're going to read from uh, John ch -ch -ch chapter 10. Uh, wow. Um, Ecamm needs permission to capture the screen. Okay, well, we'll deal with that later because it looks like it's, uh, it looks like you guys can see the screen just fine. Um, and it's already been granted permission. So I don't know why I'd ask for it again. So here we go. John chapter 10 says this. I tell you the solemn truth. This is Jesus speaking. And by the way, here are these footnotes, and we'll, we'll take a look at those in a moment. I tell you the truth, the one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brought all his own sheep out... When he has brought us all his own sheep out, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's look at some of these footnotes. So, you know, in the Greek, truly I say to you, right? So I tell you the solemn truth is the way it's translated into English. Um, let's see. John 10, 1 says there was more than one type of sheepfold in use in Palestine in Jesus' day. The one here seems to be a courtyard in front of a house. The Greek word used here for sheepfold, aule, I probably slaughtered that word, frequently refers to a courtyard surrounded by a stone wall, often topped with briars for protection. Uh, let's see. Uh, entrance is the word there for sheepfold. And then John 10, 3, what's that footnote that's there? See, like, I love this, the doorkeeper. It says uh, that could also be, or the porter, British English. There have been many attempts to identify who the doorkeeper represents, none, are, none of which are convincing. More likely, there are some details in this parable that are included for the sake of the story, necessary parts of the overall picture, but without symbolic significance. So this is why I love the NET, because it shows this, like the words like the door are not actually in the Greek text, but are implied. Direct objects in Greek were often omitted when clear from the context. So interesting. So uh, John 10, 3 also, and he, because of the difference in Greek style, which often begins sentences or clauses with and in English, which generally doesn't, Kai has not been translated here. This uh, part, John 10, 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Some, some interpreters have suggested that there was more than one flock in the fold and there would be a process of separation when a shepherd called out his flock. This may also be suggested by the mention of a doorkeeper in verse 3, since only the larger sheepfolds would have such a guard. But the Gospel of John never mentions a distinction among the sheep in this fold. In fact, in John 10, 16, there are other sheep which are brought in, but they're all to be one flock and one shepherd. Ooh, I love this. So let's dig in some more on John chapter 10 here uh, and continue. So, um... Let's see here. Okay, so 
Jesus told this parable, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus said again, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. And all who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. What's the word for pasture? Like what was, what's the footnote there? Pasture land uh, in contrast to cultivated land. Interesting. Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill. Ooh, let's look at W. Uh, to slaughter, actually, is more like the the accurate reference. Oh, that's so great. A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? Lays his life down for his sheep. Listen, religion, can I just say this? Religion, um, while I think many people look at it as like well-intended, Jesus wasn't coming to try and make people religious. See, religious religious doctrine takes our eyes off of the creator, takes our eyes off of God, takes our eyes off of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, let me lay down more rules for you guys to get it. Um, or when I got my ordination and I was a youth pastor, um, I was taught all the time, like the, the you've heard it said, where Jesus leveling up. Jesus was saying, you've heard don't kill, but I'm telling you, if you, you call somebody an idiot, you're a murderer. Uh, and that's like, Jesus is leveling up. No. Now, I've learned over the years, I, 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 as I've studied and wrestled with the, the scriptures, but studied from a Hebrew perspective and a deeper perspective in, in, in the Greek and English, that those you've heard it said were, if you, if you actually break them down and look at them, Jesus was more pointing back to, you've heard this said, but I tell you this because it starts here, and that's how it gets to there. It starts in here, and that's how it gets to there. You've heard it. You've heard it said, "Don't murder." But I say, if you even call your brother an idiot, you're in danger of hellfire. What was Jesus saying? Because look, no murderer wakes up there. They don't like you. Don't wake up happy and pleasant and going, "Oh, today's a great day. I love people." And then five seconds later, go slaughter people. No, something starts in our heart that says, "I don't think those people deserve." But how do we get there? Well, that person is a terrible person. And how do we get there? Oh, that person's an idiot. Right? It starts with a little, and then that, that little bit of disdain, that little bit of anger, the little bit of hatred, it just starts to fester and fester until it develops into something so despicable that it could lead to murder. And Jesus talks about, he said, look, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? We're talking about the enemy here. We're talking about what is Satan's role in your life and my life. He just wants to ruin everything. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your future. He wants to destroy your hope, right? The enemy wants to destroy your hope. He wants to steal every bit of the joy in your life. His goal, Jesus said, and there's a part in scripture where he says, listen, make my joy complete. He talks about how he gets joy in the thought of us having, having relationship with one another the way he has relationship with the Father. Like, the scriptures tell us, like, God wants us to be joyful people. Jesus wants us to experience the joy of the Lord. But the enemy doesn't. Satan wants to steal that from you. Right. So as we look at this, when this is what I love when Jesus, when we say, so who, what, who is Jesus? Like, what did he come to do? If he didn't come to create Christianity, a new religion, which he didn't, if he didn't come to lay down more rules, what did he come to do? Well, he says here, and I love this. 
In John 10, 10, it's part of Life Church, like where the Life Church and the name came from. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so they may have life and may have it abundantly. Now, listen, I love my dude, Joel Osteen, and, uh, and T.D. Jakes. I love some of these very passionate preachers. But, but just so you know, like, and, and they're not always doing this, but there are some that go overboard that, that say that this is like the, the, they'll take this verse and turn it into some prosperity gospel thing. That's not it. Uh, so, some translations take this abundantly, like life to the fullest. Um, the way that NET, when it says abundantly in their footnote, it says that is more than one would normally expect or anticipate. Jesus said, I came so that they would have life in, in a way that is, uh, more than what you would normally anticipate. So maybe you felt like, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to get through life. Like I, I've given up on even trying to be happy. I'm just trying to get through it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. But I came to give you a life that's more than what you expect it to be. Now, who is he? Here's who he is. John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. How do we know he's the good shepherd? And, and first, what is a shepherd? A shepherd leads their flock, right? They lead their flock. What, what do they do when they lead them? They lead them to places of rest, places of nourishment, and they protect them. And how do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, though? Because he says, I'm the good shepherd. But how can we be sure? Here's how. Because he said, the good shepherd laid, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the NET, the New English Translation, also has a footnote that says this. Or that exact translation could mean the good shepherd dies willingly. Dies willingly. You know, you think about this. Like, I wouldn't die willingly for my job. <laughs> like, I do, uh, I offer text marketing and I teach people how to start text marketing companies. I wouldn't lay down my life so that someone could text market. <laughs> right? Most of us in our, in our life, in our vocation, wouldn't do that. But a shepherd, their job was to protect and provide for the sheep. So a shepherd would literally put their life in line. Think about the story of David and Goliath. He said that, that he literally fought lions and bears to protect the sheep. David was willing to lay his life down for those sheep. Perhaps that's why in spite of all of his mistakes later in life, God knew his heart was still good for him. He just got off track. So the, the NAT has this great footnote. It says, Jesus speaks openly of his vicarious death twice in the section, John 10, 11 and 15. Notice the contrast. It says that the thief takes the life of the sheep. The thief takes the life of the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his own life for the sheep. Jesus isn't speaking generally. He's speaking specifically. He's got his own substitutionary death on the cross coming, right? So for a literal shepherd with a literal flock, the shepherd's death would have spelled disaster, though, right? Like the shepherd would be willing to lay his life down, but imagine if he did, then what? Then the sheep are unprotected. But in this instance, when Jesus is contrasting what he's doing, Jesus laying down his life spells eternal life for us. Now, and Zechariah eleven seventeen. let me just read this to you. It says, woe to the worthless shepherd. Zechariah eleven seventeen says, woe to the worthless shepherd who abandons the flock. May a sword fall on his arm and his right eye. May his arm wither completely away and his right eye become completely blind. And Zechariah, there's this contrast going, hey, look, if a shepherd abandons the sheep, 
woe to that worthless shepherd. So Jesus didn't come to create a new religion called Christianity. He didn't come to say, let me give you all the rules. He didn't come to do like I was taught as a youth pastor, like with this, you've heard it says, he didn't come to level up and make it even harder to connect with God. How do we know he didn't come to make it harder? Because he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What is a yoke? The yoke would be, a yoke is a thing, an, an ox has over its head to plow a field, but a, the yoke in the Hebrew, um, and they would have understood this, was the, the belief system you carried. So there were two main belief systems, right? Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had some disagreements on the resurrection, right? One yoke said, this is the thing, this is the resurrection. Uh, the other yoke said, this is the thing, there is no resurrection. And, and within those factions, they had different different rabbis, uh, had different, like a different yoke, a different belief structure on some of the translations from Tanakh, what we would call Old Testament. So when Jesus came on the scene, you know, he talked about how hard the Pharisees tried to make this. If you think about it, the Jewish religious structure had 613 laws to follow all of them stem from the big 10 but jesus goes when he was asked like hey hey y'all what's most important hey what's the most important command let me show you what he said when asked what's the most important commandment jesus said this matthew 22 verses 34 through 40 now when the pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, uh-oh, SpaghettiO, we just got to back this soul train up because how did he silence the Sadducees? Let's go. So the Pharisees and Sadducees kind of went against each other, right? Like the, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection, right? And the Pharisees did. So let's read this. We're going to back it up to verse 23, actually, Matthew 22, 23. The same day, Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him and asked him, teacher, Moses says if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry his widow and father children for his brother. Note, this seems barbaric and archaic, and I get it, and it seems really gross and weird. Like, if I died, I wouldn't want, like, if I had no children and I died, I wouldn't want one of my brothers, any of them, to be with my wife and go make children to carry on my lineage. But culturally, that was what they did then, right? Like, if, if, you, if you died, because your name, your lineage being carried on was important, and so, like, if, if, you, if you were to pass away, the right thing to do uh, culturally was that your brother would step in and, and basically become the, the husband of your wife, too, and care for her like you were supposed to and provide her with children to carry on your namesake. It creeps me out too. I get it, but hang in there with me, my friend. They're using this analogy. I just want to give you a little cultural background so that it would make a little sense because sometimes we can get hung up on the creepiness of that, but that's not really why they're asking the question, okay? So um, let's continue. Okay, so now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The second did the same, and third, all the way down to the seventh. Can you imagine this poor woman? Like, oh, dear God. She's like, I want seven of these gross dudes. I don't even bear a child. Uh, or, or she couldn't bear a child, whatever. Either way, it's just a gross thought. Anyways, last of all, the woman died. So all seven of these brothers died, and then the woman dies. And it says, in the resurrection, see, the purpose is the Sadducees here are trying to like be like, ha-ha, let's get them with a the gotcha. There is no resurrection. So they say, for uh, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. And Jesus answered them, you're deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Wait, pump the brakes. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, these cats had the scriptures memorized. Let this be a lesson to all of us that just being able to spew Bible verses does not mean we know the scriptures, right? Sometimes you ask people, so, well, thus saith the Lord, and then they'll quote a scripture. Just because you got it memorized doesn't mean you know God. 
Just because we have it memorized doesn't mean that we understand what God says. And even when we study and try hard, sometimes we still get it wrong. But the proof of that is here. These are experts in the law. They had this memorized front to back, back to front, not to mention Midrash, which is like what goes alongside of it, not to mention books and things that aren't in our canon, like the book of Enoch, which actually Peter references, <laughs> uh, and that we see referenced in the, in the New Testament, yet our canonization is left out. And all of these Jewish leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they would have known all of it. Yet what's Jesus' response? He goes, well, you're deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, he didn't say we become angels. They're created being separate from us, but he says, but they're like angels. Meaning, we're not there to serve ourselves. We're not there to go, hey, I'm in a relationship, I'm gonna go make babies. It's not about that anymore. He goes, now as for the resurrection of the dead, because that's what they were really asking about. He says, have you not read what has been spoken to you by God? I love when Jesus goes, have you not read? He knows darn well they read it. They just choose to ignore it. How many things do we read in the scriptures that we choose to ignore because they don't make us feel good? How many things in the scriptures do we ignore because it hurts our feelings? Now listen, God loves us. It's not that he doesn't want us to be hurt. He doesn't want our feelings to be hurt, but the reality is sometimes we attach our feelings to things that aren't good for us anyway. So Jesus says to these cats, he's like, well, don't you know, don't you, uh, what, haven't you read? <laughs> yes, they've read. So now in the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were amazed by his teaching. Now, they had put all these rules, all these things in place. And what does Jesus do? He says, let me make it easy for you. Let me make it easy for you. It says, now when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees. So Jesus talking about the resurrection, he shuts him down. Don't you know the scriptures? You got to picture this and imagine the Pharisees are over there like, oh, yes, yeah, suckers, proved it. The resurrection's real. But here goes Jesus. So the Pharisees heard he silenced the Sadducees and they assembled together. And then one of them, an expert in religious law, traditionally a lawyer, this is an expert in the interpretation of Mosaic law, asked him a question. Why? To test him. So just like what the Sadducees did with their little stupid test, now the Pharisees are trying to test Jesus in the scriptures. And they say, teacher, verse 36, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus says to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.5. It's part of what's called the Shema. Uh, and this is the first and greatest command. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he doesn't stop there. He could have. But the problem is, people were attaching to that and ignoring what the resulting action should be. If we love God with everything we've got, what are we going to do? We're going to try and be like God. Being like God means doing what? Verse 39, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Let me say it again. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Hang is the actual verb. 
use there. All the law and the prophets hang in these two things. So how do we how do we separate religion from following Jesus? Number one, let me just say this. Following Jesus doesn't make you religious unless you turn following Jesus into a religion. Let me say it again. Following Jesus doesn't make you religious unless you turn it into a religion. See, Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He didn't come to create Christianity and go, Judaism's broken. Let me create Christianity. No, Jesus was a good Jew. He was a good Hebrew boy who grew into a, a good Hebrew man. He was a perfect, sinless Hebrew boy who grew into a perfect, sinless Hebrew man. So everything that Jesus walked and talked came from what we, we Christians would call the Old Testament, from Tanakh, right? Like Jesus, those were his scriptures. What we have in the New Testament is the account of Jesus' life on earth and the accounts of people trying to walk it out after Jesus ascended. See, Jesus didn't have the New Testament. And Jesus wasn't like writing. The, Jesus was living it. And people were documenting how he taught. They were documenting how he was saying, this is what these holy scriptures mean. I've heard this said, but it means this. And he brings it all back to something so beautiful and simple. And for my friends who go, I'm not religious. For my beautiful daughter, my my um, my stepdaughter, uh, for for my son-in-law, for anybody, I, like I love you guys. For all of my friends who go, man, I don't like church. I don't like Christianity. I don't like all the hypocrisy. That has nothing to do with God or Jesus. It has to do with us being hypocrites. Sometimes it has to do with us getting religious and being stupid sometimes. We, that's our fault. That's not God's fault. That's not Jesus' fault. If my friends who say, I'm not religious, good. Can I encourage you? Open a Bible and read Matthew and John. See how Jesus said to live. I guarantee you, anyone that reads Jesus' words, there's no way you could say, that's not a good way to live. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. And it's unwritten rule, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, somebody who gets a lot of praise is Martin Luther King Jr. You know, he said, you can't overcome evil with evil. Guess what? The Bible says you can't overcome evil with evil. See, for some reason, we'll cling to things that human beings say, but we ignore the words of the Creator of everything. And we ignore the words of Jesus who was there at the time of creation and then came down to be a human being just like us. Sometimes we write these off as fairy tales and old stories and whatever, but there's historical proof that Jesus walked the earth. So even for those of you that go, well, I don't know if I believe in God yet. Okay. Read the words of Jesus though, and then ask yourself, wouldn't that be a better way to live? Wouldn't it be? And if it is a better way to live, then you're going to start saying, well, if I'm going to listen to this Jesus guy, if I'm going to follow what he says, I got to know, is he for real? Because either he's a complete liar or he is who he said he is. Because here, here he is saying, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan, take care of the sick, take care of that person who's incarcerated. Show love to those who don't deserve it because that's what changes hearts. Show love to those who don't deserve it because that's what changes hearts. And changed hearts equal changed lives. And that's how you break generational curses. That's how we, that's how we take our world from the state that it's in 
of pain and suffering and despair and destruction and war and children not understanding who they are and, and mental health issues and, and all of this pain and suffering, there's a fix for all of it. Jesus. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. His ways lead to righteousness. His ways lead us to God. My friends, don't be religious. But become a student of Jesus. Don't be religious. Religion is a set of man-made rules. Jesus has the way to God. Somebody out there needs to hear this. God loves you even though you have been fighting against him. God loves you even though you have been fighting against him. Maybe you've been fighting against him for years. Maybe you've cursed God and been so hurt and angry because you've lost someone special to you. Or you've, you've had a spouse who has hurt you, broken trust with you. For whatever reason, you've been just angry at God. I'm so sorry that you've experienced that. But can I encourage you and say you're not alone? Job got angry. Uh, Jonah got angry. David got angry. Jesus did not get angry with God, but he did ask God, why would you leave me? People throughout the scriptures have had moments where they were angry at God, but I think when we dial it all the way back, the anger actually comes from not understanding God's heart for us. See, God won't ever do anything that isn't for our own good and for the betterment of us. And you might say, oh, really, how is losing my spouse or my child to a debilitating disease? How is that God doing something good for me? Can I ask, why are you giving God credit for the bad? We live in a broken world. See, the thief, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy that sickness that you've experienced, that loss in your life, that wasn't from God. It wasn't from God. Because God doesn't, God doesn't do things to hurt his people. Does God give us tough love sometimes or allow us to go through challenges? Yeah. But those things like me losing my grandmother to cancer, uh, things like that, that's not, God doesn't go like, oh, you know what would make me happy today? Let me, let me give your child, your grandmother, your father, your mother, your sister, dementia, cancer. That's not a, that's not a God thing. You know, it's funny, we call, we call hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes an act of God. But the scriptures don't tell us that God comes to destroy. Why don't we call those an act of Satan, an act of the enemy? God loves you. God wants you. God wants you to know that so much. And all he asks is that you love him back. And he didn't even give you an ultimatum. I hear people go, well, God loves you, but if you put a but after it, no, that's not unconditional love. It's not even, well, it's conditional love, right? But the scriptures tell us that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still the enemies of God, while we were helpless and could do nothing, when we couldn't respond, we weren't even born yet. Before we could respond and say, I choose you, Jesus, God chose us. Before we could even say, I want to follow you, Jesus, Jesus was at the cross for us. 
He rescued us from hell before we could even make a choice to say whether or not we want to be rescued. So don't you tell me God doesn't love you. But a rescue from hell isn't the golden Willy Wonka ticket to heaven. In order to get there and experience the age to come and have eternal life with God and Christ, we got to follow Jesus. we got to follow his way. That ain't religion, friends. That's an invitation to a lifelong relationship. That's somebody going, I stepped up for you and you didn't know me. I stepped up for you and chose you and you didn't choose me. I loved you and you didn't love me. But even though you didn't, I did this for you just to prove that I love you. I've heard people use the analogy, well, listen, it's just kind of like drowning. You know, Jesus is like the life raft that God threw out, but you still got to take the life raft. That is not what a loving parent would do. If your child were drowning in a pool, would you throw a life preserver at him and go, well, you got to grab it, otherwise I got to let you drown? Of course not. That would make you a crap parent. And the scriptures tell us if your kid asks for bread, are you going to give him a rock? If they ask for fish, are you going to give him a snake? Of course not. And if you as an evil person can give good gifts, how much better are the gifts of your Father in heaven? See, the scriptures do tell us while we are still his enemies, Christ died for us. Scriptures tell us that through one man, Adam, sin came into the world. This is the broken world we live in, the, the consequences, the death, the famine, the war, the, all, the lies, the hatred, the political division, all this garbage and disgustingness, that is from the enemy. That is the result of sin. But it says, how much more did what Jesus did rescue us from that? How much more did what Jesus did save us from the punishment that comes from sin? Whew. Pretty amazing. Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He came to show you that God has been standing there all along, uh, metaphorically standing there, obviously, that God all along has been right here. In the immortal words of Richard Marx from the 90s, he will be right here waiting for you. Yeah, that's a very bad rendition. But that's it. Jesus came to say God has always been right here just waiting for you to respond to him. He loves you. He hasn't given up. There you go. You're welcome. Now maybe you've not made the choice for Jesus. I'm not sure yet. Okay, we'll get started. Jesus didn't say go make converts. He said go and make disciples. What's a disciple? A student. What's a student? Somebody who's exploring and learning. So become a student of Jesus. I want to invite you. Open up the book of Matthew. First, first chapter goes through a lot of lineage. And you'll probably get bored. So what? Read through it anyway. Skip through the lineage at first if you need to, so you can get to the parts where you start to understand Jesus' life, okay? But the lineage was important because it helped. It was to help the Jewish people see that Jesus is the Messiah and him through the lineage. But I digress. Open a Bible. You're not sold on God and Jesus. and Okay, open the Bible. It all starts with the choice of choosing who you want to be, who you want to believe you are. Now, I'm not going to pretend uh, the Bible doesn't say becoming a Christ follower makes your life easier. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that people are going to hate you because they hate him, right? So there are some, some challenges that will come along the way. But the reality is, if you haven't opened it up and read for yourself what Jesus said, don't tell me, oh, I don't do that, Jesus. Stuff. I don't like all that. Christians are this. Yeah, Christians are. Jesus isn't. Christians are people, and we make mistakes. Jesus didn't. Christians don't always live up to what the Scripture says. Jesus did. Open a Bible. Just check him out. Check out his words, his life, how he showed people to live. Check out how he responded in the face of persecution. Check out how he responded when he was getting whipped with a cat of nine tails and the flesh was being ripped from his back. Check out how he responded on the cross and 
as he was dying, and he and he says to to God, "Forgive him. I don't know what to do." Man, I challenge you to check out who Jesus is. Shake off the stigma of religion and pick up the mantle of relationship. And I'm not trying to say this whole personal relationship with Jesus. Don't hold yourself up and be like, it's about me and my Bible and my prayer time. If you never step out those doors and live it out and walk it out, then we're still not living like Jesus. But there's a reason that you're hearing this. And the reason is that God hasn't given up on you. I don't even know who you are watching or listening, but I haven't either. So let me encourage you with this. God loves you. I love you. Now it's time for you to choose to believe that God's love for you is real. It's time for you to choose to believe that Jesus is worth checking out. And after you do your due diligence, then make your decision. Either way, Jesus went to the cross for you. Whether you like him or not, whether you know him or not, or whether you believe in him or not, he went to that cross for you because before you had the chance to choose him, he said, I choose you. Phew, thank you so much for tuning in this morning, you guys. Hey, listen, can I share something with you? I'm so excited. we got a big press release coming out next week. Darren and I's new book um, called For This Reason, How to Live in Ephesians 5 Marriage. It's available. If you want to get a link so you can download it on Amazon, you can text the word love to 833-981-0002. That's text the word love to 1-833-981-0002. Standard messaging and data rates apply. Frequency varies. We're not going to spam the crap out of you or anything like that. But... Text that. It will send you back a link so you can go on Amazon and buy a copy of the book. Check it out. It's getting great reviews. We're super, super grateful. Thank you to those of you who have uh, bought the book and uh, read it and left good reviews. You can also go to forthisreason.org and check it out. Uh, but we'd sure love it if you'd take a peek at the book and see for yourself and leave a great review. Uh, and here's the thing. If you don't like it, return it. <laughs> there you go. If you don't like it, leave a horrible review and return it. Um, but um, we really had a, a heart. Darren and I have both been married before. We've had failed marriages, and uh, we were determined not to have this one fail. And we've seen friends and uh, who have been married for decades who are struggling. And we said, man, there's got to be a better way. And, and we know it's in the scriptures, and we think that we found it. We found that marriage path. So if your marriage is good, but you want it to be great, if your marriage has been great, but it's gone stagnant, if your marriage is struggling and you're ready to pull the plug, this is a book for you. If you're a single person who's going, you know what, I, I, I don't want to go into marriage wrong. If you're engaged and you're saying, let's go into marriage the right way, this will give you a good husband and wife perspective from people who, uh, whose failures you can learn from so you don't repeat them. Right? And you might say, well, my parents are divorced, so I saw the failures. Listen, a lot of times you never get to hear what went on behind the scenes or why we feel the way that we feel when we go through those experiences. So can I challenge you and encourage you? Check it out. If you don't like the book, return it. Either way, hope you'll check it out. Text the word love to one 981 and uh, it'll automatically reply with the link for you to go check out the book. Thanks again for tuning in. Listen, no matter where you're at in your life, you're just one moment away from walking with Jesus. I encourage you. Get to know him today. Make him the Lord of your life. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. I promise you it'll be the best decision you've ever made. Thanks again for tuning in. Love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow on Bible Study Live. Ooh, ah.